0: Oh, if you're in Acts chapter 5, say amen. amen. During the American Revolutionary War in the late 1770s, there was one man, a general, who had a great reputation. He was respected by all. He was brave. He was courageous. He had proven that on the battlefield multiple times. He was a tactical genius. He led troops to defeat the British armies. When it came to the American side of the battle, he was probably the bright spot for them up to this point. Which is why it was such a shock when Benedict Arnold was found conspiring with the British to commit treason and turn over the American fort at West Point to the British forces for money and for a position in the British Army. What we learn from this national betrayal that I'm sure you're familiar with is that opposition doesn't always come from the outside. Sometimes it comes from the inside. And I found that what's true in the American army is also true for the Christian church. The early church that we've been studying in the book of Acts was thriving in chapters 1, 2, and 3. No exaggeration, people in the thousands were hearing the gospel, repenting of their sins, getting baptized, joining the church. The sick are being healed. The, the needy are being cared for. The church meetings are incredibly powerful. And it's just going good. But how many know that, that Satan will not sit idly by and watch the gospel move forward without an attempt to oppose it? Chapter 4, he tried to oppose the church from without through the government's persecution. But that didn't work very well. They said that they said to the apostles, Stop speaking in the name of Jesus or else, and the apostles just kept on preaching because they were convinced that they answered to a higher court than Israel's Supreme Court. That was God's court. When Satan realized that opposition from without wasn't stopping the gospel's progress through this dynamic church, he went to the inside. And he started opposing them from within. In my observation and understanding of church history, it seems as though Satan has been far more effective in slowing the progress of the church by opposing it from the inside rather than from the outside. While there's been persecution from the outside in various countries and at various times in history, even right now in some places of the world. It hasn't seemed to hinder the church near as much as when Satan got inside of the church. That's what we're going to read and study today. Opposition from within. And and we're going to see what I believe is Satan's primary way of slowing down the gospel through the church. And that is through this hypocrisy inside of the church. If he can get Christians to the point where they're putting on a show every Sunday. Where they're content to be cosmetic Christians. Where, where, where they're not walking what they're talking. If he can get us to that point, he knows that he can hinder our credibility as a Christian and as a church. Now, before we go on, I want to be clear. While hypocrisy is incredibly serious, and that's really the, the, the essence of the text. It should never be what keeps a person from coming to church. I think that's the reason a lot of people will give for why they don't attend church At all or anymore. They say something like. There's just too many hypocrites. Well I'd say two things to that person. First. If they're bothered by hypocrisy. They need to know that Jesus agrees with them. Jesus is really bothered by hypocrisy too. They're actually in good company. In fact. I don't find anything hardly. At all that that fired him up more in his earthly ministry than the hypocrisy of those religious Pharisees. But secondly, I would tell them this. Jesus Christ is the only perfect example. Everyone else will disappoint us, including even good Christians that we look up to. But Jesus never will. Reminds me of a story that that Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, told. She said a, a young college student from India named Pashi once told her this. We of India would like to believe in Christ. But we have never seen a Christian who was like Christ. So Ruth told him this. Well, that's okay. Because I'm not offering you Christians. I'm offering you Christ. She's right, isn't she? We preach Christ, not Christians. One shouldn't base their faith entirely on, on a believer's faith or lack thereof. They should base their faith and their commitment to their faith on the person of Jesus Christ alone. With that being said, I'm going to return back to the seriousness of hypocrisy. Because it is incredibly consequential when it happens inside of the church. Should never keep anybody from coming to church, but it should never be inside of the church either. We see this through two main characters, a husband and a wife. Their names are Ananias and Sapphira. What are their names? Pretty good. As we study these two characters, the message will lay out very simply. First, we'll discover what they were and what they did. Then we'll study what happened to them as a result. Then we'll talk about what they needed and what we need as well to prevent the same thing happening inside a Fellowship Baptist church. Let's read Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Brother Rob, can you turn me up a little bit up here or something? Verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias... With Sapphira, his wife, sold the possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? That was not light unto men, but unto God. Look up here for a second. Do you get what Peter's saying? He's saying you didn't have to give this. Like you did this out of your own power. The church didn't make you give this offering. It would have been okay to not give as much as Barnabas did. Why did you act like you gave as much as Barnabas did? You didn't have to do that. It was unnecessary to lie. You didn't even have to give in the first place. Verse 5. And Ananias, hearing those words, fell down and gave up the ghost. He died. And great fear came in all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound them up, carried them out, buried them. It was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. Did you do the same thing? She said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together To tempt the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door. shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. The young men came in and found her dead. And carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church. And upon as many as heard these things. Notice first today what they were. They were determined hypocrites. Here's what happened. Ananias and Sapphira agreed as a married couple that they would sell their land everyone else was doing it and then they would claim out loud to give all the proceeds to the church but but instead of actually giving all the proceeds they would keep some for themselves that was their plan and that's exactly what they did Now it's important to understand this wasn't an accidental miscalculation this was a premeditated deception This was a determined hypocrisy. That's why the author Luke stresses that Ananias' wife was privy to this. Peter implied they did this together. They worked hand in hand in hypocrisy to deceive the church into thinking that they were more generous than they actually were. See, Ananias and Sapphira, they had watched the generosity of Barnabas just a few verses up. You remember studying that, right? And Barnabas sold some of his land, and, and then he came and he gave the proceeds to the church. He laid his offering at the apostles' feet to help care for the needs of the people. In fact, he did this so often and with such generosity that the apostles, the church leaders, nicknamed him Barnabas. That wasn't his real name. He was Joseph, but they nicknamed him Barnabas because of his generosity. And when Ananias and Sapphira saw how Barnabas' offering earned him a good reputation... They thought to themselves, I want to be known that way. I want a nickname like that. I want my church to think I'm generous. I'm an encourager. I'm a sacrificial giver. So they brought their gift. They, they laid it at the apostles' feet, just like Barnabas, Barnabas did. But as John Calvin commented, they were more interested in the feet of the apostles than they were in the eyes of God. They wanted the reputation of being sacrificial without being sacrificial. They wanted people to think they were generous without having to actually be generous. They they wanted the testimony of Barnabas without the inconvenience. That leads me to this conclusion. Hypocrisy is not when others think we're more spiritual than we are. Hypocrisy is when we try to make others think that we're more spiritual than we are. I'd contend that this happens inside of the church more than we think it does. It happens when when we portray ourselves as being people of prayer when we really aren't. We figured out how to pray a polished prayer in public so as to give the impression that we do it all the time in private. But if we're honest, our prayers don't sound in private like they do in public. Or when we promote the idea that we're generous when in all actuality we're so tight that we squeak when we smile. Some of you are squeaking right now. Like like generosity we're taught from this passage isn't really measured by what you give, it's really measured by what you keep. It's not measured by what you put in the offering, it's measured by what you keep in your pocket. Ananias' gift that he laid at the apostles' feet might very well have been substantial, but his greed was revealed in what he kept for himself. Another way we can be guilty of hypocrisy is, is when we come to church and portray ourselves as having it all together when we don't and quite frankly never will. Have you heard that song on the radio called Truth Be Told? It says this lie number one, you're supposed to have it all together. And when they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them, never better. Lie number two, everybody's life is perfect except yours. So keep your messes and your wounds and your secrets safe with you behind closed doors. There's a sign on the door that says, come as you are. But I doubt it. Because if we believed like it was true, every Sunday morning pew would be crowded. But didn't you say the church should look more like a hospital? A safe place for the sick, the sinner, and the scarred, and the prodigals like me? Well... Truth be told, the truth is rarely told. If there's one thing I don't want Fellowship Baptist Church becoming, it's a place where broken people try to act like they're not broken. And where hurting people try to act like they're not hurting. That's called cosmetic Christianity. Another way we share in this sin is we portray unity with others that really isn't unity. I call this peace faking. We we don't want to appear as a peace breaker in the church. That'll make us look bad. But at the same time, we're not that interested in making peace with certain individuals who've hurt us or disappointed us or frankly just annoy us. So we fake it. We portray ourselves as getting along with, with, with those we worship with when we really don't. We sing next to the person we gossip about. We serve next to the person we complain about. We shake hands with the same people we tear down. Instead of biblically dealing with our disagreements and hurts and offenses, we hypocritically portray ourselves as someone we're not for the sake of maintaining our image. I found this follows us into our service for the Lord. Some would have the church to think that they're busy in the work of the Lord when in reality they're just really good at placing themselves in the line of sight where it appears as though they're busy serving the Lord. They know what to sign up for and what to give to and what to get involved in that'll serve their interests but in all reality if they're honest they rarely if ever serve in obscurity. The most serious way I think the sin of hypocrisy can be seen in our lives is when we lie about being a follower of Jesus Christ. When we portray ourselves as Christians when we're in in reality, we're not a Christian. Did you know that so-called believers come to church every Sunday, put on a show? When in their heart they know that believing in Jesus and repenting of their sin is not and has not ever been a part of their life. How do you know? Because Jesus said, one day, Matthew 7, many will stand before me and say, Lord, Lord, you not prophesied in thy name, in thy name, cast out devils and done many, many wonderful works. And Jesus will look at them, not a few, but he said many. He will look at them and say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Christianity is more about a relationship than what you do. And if somebody with that impressive of a resume, resume like casting out demons and, and doing many wonderful works and prophesying in the name of Jesus, if they can't get into heaven with that list, how are you going to get in with yours? See, at the judgment seat of Christ, I should say the white throne judgment, great white throne judgment, there will be no hypocrites. Jesus will see right through it all. My desire as a preacher of the gospel today is that if you've been playing a game with your spirituality that you'd get saved today. That you'd believe in Jesus finished work on the cross for you because he loves you. That you'd quit trying to have this image of being something you're really not that you would finally get serious about your sin, see it the same way Jesus did, as something worth dying for. That you would take Jesus aside against your sin. You'll never be perfect, but you can change the way you think about it. Say, with God's help, I'm going to rely on Jesus and Jesus alone. I'm going to give my life to him, make him the Lord and ruler of my life. Would to God we would have some people in here tonight who've never done that. Finally do that today. This is, listen, for us to become determined hypocrites, we are playing right into the hand of Satan. Well, how do you know? Verse 3 Peter says, why have you let Satan fill your heart with a lie? Who's who's at the origin of hypocrisy? It's Satan. It's as satanic as it gets. This is contrasted with chapter 4, the end of chapter 4 that says they're all filled with the Spirit. Now we've got members that are filled with Satan. I believe Ananias and Sapphira were saved. That's a whole other conversation, but I believe they were believers. I believe it's possible for believers to yield to the flesh. To yield to the evil one. To let Satan get into our minds and our hearts and win that battle and begin to dictate what we say and what we do. And before long, Satan has made us somebody that we're really not. And we're comfortable going to church every Sunday, singing a song, going to church every Wednesday, singing a song, dropping a little bit of coin in in the offering plate, shaking a few hands and going about our way. And we are two totally different people. One out there and one in here what were they they were determined hypocrites being used as a tool of opposition from the devil to destroy the work of the gospel through this church number 2 what happened to them well they were instantly judged we read it in verse 3 and 6 both Ananias and Sapphira they were killed the first recorded funeral in the church was that of a hypocrite. This was divine judgment from God, which makes me ask this. And I know you've got to be asking if you're thinking today, why was this judgment so severe? You've been to many churches, haven't you? And never seen anybody fall over dead. Because they didn't give what they said they gave in the offering. Why this time? Why so sudden? We don't know the mind of God entirely, but we can look at Scripture and know that God often worked dramatically like this at the start of certain periods of time in order to set a precedent. Think about Adam and Eve, the first humans. They sinned and God judged suddenly and severely. Think of Achan, who is part of the nation of Israel that we're about to uh, enter into the promised land. For the first time, he sinned, God judged him suddenly and And severely, Think about King David bringing the ark of God to Jerusalem for the first time. Uzzah, who is transporting the ark, sinned by transporting it in the wrong way. God judged him suddenly and severely. Now in the early stages of the church with Ananias and Sapphira, he does the same thing. He's setting a precedent for the church that he takes sin and hypocrisy very serious. On top of that, our text shows us that this married couple... They weren't just lying to men. They were lying to God. Their deception was connected to a spiritual act. They they were being hypocritical about their worship to God. That's why Luke records how their bodies were quickly, almost immediately drug out of the church. Because God is serious about preserving the holiness of his bride. God is serious about ridding the church of hypocrisy completely and quickly. Now think about if God worked this way today in our church. We're about to take up the offering. How would that work for you? A man by the name of Donald Barnhouse said he'd never let his church sing the third stanza of that hymn at Calvary. You know what that that stanza says? Now I've given to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own him as my king. He claimed this and he was right. That Christians can sometimes sing lies more than they tell lies. Here's what he quoted as saying to his church. If God acted in the same way today that he did in the fifth chapter of Acts, you'd have to have a morgue in the basement of every church and a mortician on the pastoral staff. He's right. Let's be real. If God acted in the same way today, we wouldn't have a pastoral staff either. You wouldn't have a pastor. We'd all be dead. This passage is meant to be a sober warning to us of how seriously God takes our hypocrisy. And we should take it just as serious. Who were they? Determined hypocrites. What happened? And they were instantly judged. What did they need to prevent this? What would this church need to prevent this in the future? And what do we need to put into practice right now so we don't become a determined hypocrite ourselves? Here's what we need. A healthy fear of the Lord. Now look at verse 11. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. In the Bible, fear can mean a couple different things. It can mean what we think it means. You're just scared. Now you tell me if someone croaked over dead, three hours later their wife croaked over dead right here in the sanctuary, would that scare you a little bit? Okay, so maybe the author Luke was saying they were a little bit scared. But another definition of the word fear in the Bible is reverence, respect, awe. Which one was it, Pastor? It was both. It was both. When they found out this was God and it was divine judgment, a sense of healthy fear. Reverence and respect and awe came about this church. Do you know the book of Proverbs teaches us that the very beginning of wisdom, the foundation of it, is the fear of the Lord. Meaning this, if you don't stand in awe of God today, you are unwise. If you don't reverence His holiness, you are unwise. If a passage like this doesn't put kind of a holy hush over the congregation today, We are unwise. This is what Ananias and Sapphira needed. A healthy fear of the Lord. But instead of fearing God, they feared man. They were more worried about their reputation than their character. Listen, if you want to stay away from the sin of hypocrisy, if you want to avoid being used by Satan inside our our church to disrupt its progress, then the same fear of God that came upon this early church needs to come upon our church today. You need to walk outside of church today asking God, help me to fear you more than I fear man. Help me to be more concerned about what you see than what about man sees. Not too long ago on Wednesday nights, we preached a series called when people are big and God is small. It's about the fear of man. We base that entire series on this verse in Proverbs. The fear of man bringeth a snare. See that? The fear of man bringeth a snare. This is what Satan wants to do, Christian. He wants to ensnare you. He wants to entrap you. He He wants to enslave you in the fear of man. It's so ironic that the church is intended to be a place where we learn how to come and authentically worship God and sincerely love other people. But it often turns into a place where our fear of others' opinions of us is what's dominant. You know what those fears will do if you're not careful? Slowly but surely, they'll they'll cause you to become inauthentic and dishonest and hypocritical. They'll cause you to come to Fellowship Baptist Church on Sunday, put on a mask, and start acting as someone you're not out of fear that others will find out who you really are. We become cosmetic Christians when we fear men. And instead of our worship being driven by a sense of reverence for God, it's motivated by a desire to impress others. As your pastor, I've been praying all week for you, for myself. That God would cause to happen, at least in some small measure, what happened in this early church. That that He would remind us of His holiness anew and afresh. And that a healthy fear of the Lord would fill our hearts again. Because I know this is what we need to prevent Satan from getting into our hearts and filling our hearts with a lie. As we close, I, I want to challenge you to take an honest look at your life regarding your own deceit. Pastor, this is an intense message. Well, yeah, two people died in church. Thought about titling the message when sin comes to your church. This is an intense message because the text is pretty, pretty intense. It literally tells us, without telling us, take a look at yourself. Ask yourself, am I a truthful person? Am I, or am I, am I trying to outwardly appear as someone that I'm not? You know, friend, that's an exhausting way to live. It could very well be hearing the work of the gospel through you and your church. So my invitation to you is simple. Repent. Repent. See your hypocrisy as a lie. Not just to men. A lie to God. A lie that God takes very seriously. And will eventually judge with severity. Friend, ask him today to remove the habits of deception in you so that truth becomes a habit instead. I said it earlier in the message. The most serious form of hypocrisy is when somebody comes to church and they're not a Christian, but they try to act like they are. Every church has saved, unsaved church members. Are you believing in Jesus right now? Are you repenting of your sin right now? When did that journey begin for you? Did it begin when you were introduced with the gospel? To the gospel, the good news? That Jesus came from heaven to earth to die on the cross for your sins as a perfect sacrifice? Was died but, died but rose again? To give you victory over your sin? Ascended back up to heaven? At the right hand of the throne of God, ready to be the ruler of your life? Did your journey begin when you understood that? Is that when your journey began? Or did your journey begin when you were baptized as a baby? Or did it begin when you started taking communion as a kid? Or or, or did it begin whenever you said, you know what? I'm about to lose my marriage. I got to get my act together. Have you been a Christian because you chose to follow Christ? Trust in him alone as the salvation for your sins. That's the most controversial message today. It's the most exclusive message, but it's the truth. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes from the father, but by me. Christians, are you praying for lost people right now? Because the Holy Spirit is brooding over the congregation. I believe this with all my heart every time the gospel is preached. The Holy Spirit is speaking to some sinner. I'm pleading with you if you're that person today. To humble yourself. Call on Christ to save you. But what are people going to think? It don't matter. The fear of man is what takes people to hell. They fear what people are going to think. In church, more than they fear what God's going to think at the great white throne. Give up your pride a little bit. Humble yourself. And stop playing the part. I can tell you, as a genuine believer of of Christ, who gets it wrong a lot. But as a genuine believer in Christ, it is much better going to church. Not putting on a mask when it comes to that. How many know you can be saved and still be a pretender today though? Huh? Well, what do you want me to do? Just go in and just act like I'm just absolutely sad and a mess and all. Well, I mean, your disposition is a discipline. So, I mean, you probably should smile if you can, shake a hand if you can. But at the end of the day, you've got to quit pretending to be something that you're not a hypocrite. is isn't when others think you're more spiritual than you are. It's when you try to make them think that. So let's repent of that today. Let's repent of that today. Let's confess that. We're going to sing that song together after we pray a little bit. We're going to spend some time at the altar. Maybe you'll make an altar of your seat. But I want to sing that song we closed our worship service with. That, that, that the glory of his name. Be the passion of our church. That the righteousness of God is what we're after here. Not pleasing men, but pleasing God. Lord, help us today. Would you stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed.